Welcome to Talking In Stations. This is Matt Arall and Ash Jarothi. How are you doing, Ash? Great. I am Ash Jarothi, and I'm doing really good. How are you? <laughs> good. I'm sorry I threw you in there right away. Uh, today we I'm, have... I'm ready, though. Good. You were. You caught that, and you threw it right back. I love that. Uh, we're going to introduce you to our guest in a few minutes. He is the author of How to Fight Drifters. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but today, the top stories are going to be... Uh, fleet formations. There was a discussion on that. Some details came out. We'll review those. And uh, CSM apparently had a summit. Who knew? Uh, some notes. We'll we'll have a look at that too, uh, if we can. Uh, not a lot of information was actually given out. Uh, but really, the main story today is going to be uh, how to fight drifters. And uh, there's a there was a manual that was written called the Drifter Doomsday Challenge. And uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Okay, uh, first let's talk about these uh, fleet formation uh, that came out. There was a discussion today in, uh, <clears throat> in a different... There's a stream. Sorry, there was a stream. There was a discussion on a stream. It was uh, Pandoralica's uh, FC Chats and CCP Rise and CCP Signal, I believe, went on to that show talked about fleet formations and some of the details that are going to be there. So I'll give you the top four takeaways, and then Ash and I will talk about this a little bit. Uh, the first one is, um, the big thing is, this is for warp only, not for jumping, not for sinos. Uh, it might expand later to sinos and bridges, but uh, right now it's just for warping. Uh, On-grid behavior will matter a lot more now. More control for the FC, the wing fleet commanders, all who can warp their own wing and fleet with their own preset, like the current warp to range feature. Also, there are six types of formations. Uh, the point formation, which is what you currently see in EVE Online now when you warp. There'll be a sphere formation, which is bigger, and there'll actually be, uh, you can set the range on that, how big the, the ball is, for instance. It could be uh, 10, 20, or 30K around the FC, for instance. Uh, there's going to be a wall and a plane and an arrow, and uh, they'll have parameters for sizing and spacing as well. Relative, the snapshot warp uh, centers on a person initiating the warp up to 200K bubble around the FCs. Okay, I will need to digest that a little bit before I read that one, but well, I... Oh, go ahead. It's it's a I believe it's twenty k sphere around him for the exact relative positioning, and the warp is within two hundred kilometers. Isn't that? I'm not one hundred percent sure how this works, but I know uh, that there's I'm there's two yes. numbers. There's twenty kilometers and two hundred kilometers, and from my understanding, the twenty kilometers is like so you can't build a formation that that spans two hundred kilometers. You can span a formation that spans twenty kilometers more or less, and that's basically what it is. Is when you hit warp, you're, where you're at relative to each other gets locked in within that mm -hmm. sphere. And then you warp together and land in the same relative positioning. So it'd be like almost as if somebody had boosted you. So you're now exactly that distance further, but still in the re same relative configuration to each other. Oh, interesting. I wonder if the Bush, tech, Bush technology, uh, Bush as they call it, B-O-O-S-H, not B-U-S-H, uh, technology has opened up avenues for uh, things like this. Uh, a couple more well, points here. A couple more points here. Uh, two new skills you will need for fleet commanding, 
and uh, but they will be very low in skill requirements so it won't be a big climb like a lot of the fc uh requirements are now um first skill unlocks different formations the second skill allows adjustment of parameters that is the spacing between ships and uh, and finally the warp tunnel shows that you will be hitting bubbles as you warp it won't be a surprise when you land you'll have a little bit of time a little bit of time window to plan out oh to at least uh, curse out your fc for for badly warping you i get it uh let's see fleets can be sliced in half uh, the whole wing can end up separated from the fleet okay so you can be interfered so, with while you're in warp thing. yeah yeah so so first of all i want to say that what happened today was actually more or less a ccp stream ccp has been trying to work with individual streamers and other groups the partnership program more and more and so like when ccp has something to present they often bring somebody in that is extremely relevant to the community in that in that case so in this case ccp rise and ccp signal wanted to talk about this feature that they've been working on and so they did a stream with ccp or with or sorry with pando and you know whatnot with fc chat mm -hmm. um but it was on the ccp official live stream and it was their avenue to clarify some of these answers just to make sure that we're all on the same page um and bring me back to where we were actually talking about <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about you can be interfered with in in the formation oh, right yeah so one of the big things that was uh that was answered was uh oh wow my background's doing awesome things um one of the things <laughs> that was answered during the stream was that basically effectively the fc kind of individually each position is plotted as to where they need to land to be in the correct formation and then those positions are relayed to those ships and then those ships try to warp to those locations so if the the formation spans the distance such that some of the ships are individually targeted to to land through the bubble and some of the ships are not then the ships will land as per their individual trajectory it's not like there's a fleet trajectory that they all kind of then are are moved from like when they get there each each ship is given their own individualized trajectory and those trajectories are either succeed or fail uh based on their you know the rules of the game like bubbles etc etc so uh that has some interesting implications one of the things i've heard about this is people thinking that this is somehow going to be used uh to make things simpler or whatever mm. um, but ultimately i think that this is this almost makes a, a level of complexity uh, and another, just more opportunities to get to accidentally do something wrong. Um, sure. Right now, your your fleet will always be in a bundle, but if you try to get clever, you might be there. There's risk versus reward in there. If you get it right, then you could do something really cool with your fleet. Do it wrong, and you could just get yourself messed up. Yeah. Well, I read off the, the our top four takeaways, but I think if I had to summarize it, there's a couple things they really wanted to get across during this broadcast. And one is this is not just an aesthetic change, that there are strategic implications to it. So it's not an empty aesthetic change. And uh, some of those are uh, things that they can't possibly anticipate. So they want to see what you guys do with it and what kind of creative work you can do. They're and they're actually taking a huge risk. I think they admitted that they don't know if this thing is just going to break. And not technologically break, but it's going to break uh, the logic of the game as, as people do crazy things and uh, bend fleets into weird shapes. And uh, some of it might be genius the way it comes out, and some of it might just be god-awful. Uh, and they're prepared to, to look at all of it 
they want a lot of feedback on this and they're going to be watching it very closely as they're iterating very quickly these days. That is the Telos team is iterating very quickly. So I think that's what they wanted to get across more than anything else. This is by far one of the most sandboxy features that I've, that I've seen them release in a long time. It's, it's very small. Um, it's hope, you know, its implications are relatively mild, but um, it's just another tool to be in, in the tool chest. We don't know how often uh, these choices will be meaningful. There are uh, still a couple of questions that I have on practical implications, like, um, you know, will these things interrupt warping to a prescribed location to interact with, like, for instance, a gate or, or an acceleration gate? Like, how much this, this will... Uh, Basically, it's going to be a combination of, of how much work it takes for the FC to understand how to get the most out of it versus the reward of getting something out of it. Um, it may be nothing more than just a, hey, look, neat, cool thing, but chances are uh, someone's going to be able to use this in tandem with other pieces to make things really interesting. One of the things that I'm thinking about off the top of my head is the fact that the 20-kilometer range means that you could actually have multiple boosh squads that are pre-designated to be separated from one another upon land-in. So mm -hmm. you could land and immediately boosh and know that those separate groups won't interfere with each other's boosh numbers. So it'll be a wall of boosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could pre-cluster your squads uh, more effectively. Yeah. Um, so, and and well, with I the idea work with, uh, also smart bombs. warp -ins, smart bombs as well, right? Anything that has some kind of an area of effect, you can uh, pre-stage that before you warp. Yeah. And I'm also wondering, the same as I did when we first saw the video, is if you're going to be firing at a larger target, like, say, Keepstar, um, might it be worthwhile to literally warp in just a wall of dreads rather than have any one cluster that can be attacked? You know, this this grid, uh, a two-dimensional grid of... of uh, of dreadnoughts that are all targeting at the at the Keepstar. They're all exactly the same range, according to them, just be, be, based on how large the Keepstar is. Right. Uh, see, so a lot of interesting implications. It's not it's not well known because the details are only coming out. There's actually a lot of work still being done on the details uh, for some of the stuff that's going to be released in two weeks. I believe this comes out on March 2nd, uh, along with a few other things like that Sino that mobile Sino unit that you can put down, uh, which was another thing they discussed today too. So uh, again, it's fluid. They're going to have this up on CC Monday, I believe. So check it out and see if you can get enough of your friends to actually mess with it. A lot of the discussion I found was, were the implications they were talking about were null sec oriented, which will get affected more than anybody else. But there's a lot of different fleets that warp. So on Sunday, yeah. we're going to have a mining chief, we're going to have small gang, uh, we're going to have multi-boxers talking about what implications fleet formations has for them. Well, so like from our, from my perspective, which is uh, anywhere from small to large scale high sec PV and low sec PVP, uh, where you're not going to deal with bubbles and, you know, you'll have a cloud of bookmarks. Maneuverability is, is, like when I we were flying our Mac fleet, I probably warped the fleet 
over 50 times in the course of that fight. And so if I could make it so that fleet was structured in such a way, maybe I could have experimented with that to catch things a little bit better. Or maybe I could have uh, used my tackle in a different way. I don't know. But I think that there's a lot of opportunities to uh, work with fleets, especially in those places where bubbles aren't, that people aren't necessarily thinking about yet. Yeah. Wild. So check that out. It's it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what what uh, what kind of calamity follows. I think there'll be a lot. Uh, anyway, this next patch, don't underestimate it. There's only three or four things that they talked about, but even the smallest things, like the flycatcher, I think gets a, a shield buff. Yep. It's it's now like super well tanked. So that that has a lot of implications for the game. So this small update that's happening with fleet formations it's called rain i guess that's is that the quarter or is that the actual update rain no. is the quadrant right that's the quadrant yeah, this, this is, is bastion of war bastions of war update right yeah well they named well they, they named the last the, so bastions of war was the update that was written out yesterday right. and the fleet formations was the devlog today so i think bastions of war will probably be the name of the next patch and this fleet warp uh, feature will just be part of that Bastions of War patch, is my assumption. But at this point, they've kind of gone very uh, something's questionable wrong. about how they're managing right. their quadrant yeah. system yeah, right now. Something's so, wrong. It's hard for me to say. I think they need to work out their messaging on this. Bastions of War is not the same thing as Rain. Uh, fleet formations go with rain, not bastions of war, but the updates in bastions of war were talked about in the quarter that includes rain. And then we don't know what dates any of this stuff is coming well, out. So can, again, rain the is the up. first quadrant. Rain was the first, is the first quadrant, but the first month of the first quadrant had no, we didn't know anything about the quadrant. We found out about the quadrant the second month. Each quadrant's only three months. Yeah. So, so now, uh, Bastions of War, if that's its name, would be the first named patch within the Rain Quadrant. But it's all confusing because, yeah. you know, last time we had uh, the first one was Fight or Flight, and the the first uh, patch was Howling um, Howling no, Dictor. No, no, no. It, oh. it was the uh, Loyalty to Losec, I think it was, or oh, no, it was okay. Dragonar Blitz. It was the Dragonar Blitz event for January. So there is something. There are different things to latch onto in this. Without having January having had anything to latch onto, and then when they announced rains having that be independent from any of the patches that they were discussing, has made this naming naming convention to be very confusing. Yeah. But hopefully we'll get back on track. Um, and this is yeah. only a temporary uh, I like, hiccup. I like uh, Valamir's comment here. So they should name Bastions of War uh, Bastions of Warp. Nice. Yes, I like Perfect. it. One of the other things that's important to note is that, like, pandemic is made everything kind of confusing. Um, just like the fact that this entire CSM summit uh, happened without many people even realizing it was going on. I didn't. But know uh, uh, the, if you think about it, right now it's February, which would make March, April. April is traditionally when you would have FanFest. And so right now is that time in the normal cycle of things when we'd be like, man, there's really not anything going on. I wonder if anything's ever going to be going on. And then right now is when they start building up towards what would be announced as their big, uh, you know, end of quarter one, beginning of quarter two kickoff thing. Uh, it's also worth noting that there's been no updates to the lore, which there was updates literally every week, if not multiple times a week for, for months more or less, and now there hasn't been any since January 1st. And so 
uh, I wonder, uh, clearly, you know, this isn't like they're packing up and going. They've just hired a new person. They're still moving forward with all these different IPs. They're moving towards something. So this feels like what has happened in the past, which is at this point in time, they're pulling back so that way they can announce whatever it is that's going to come out in March and April. So I think that right now, the reason why we're seeing such kind of confusion is because their their eye as a company is on the next thing and they're just trying to get through this period of time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Conceptually. Now that incursion or invasion is finally over and we're in that kind of we're in a refraction period between things where we're asking, well, now what? In a way that we haven't had in two years. Thanks, by the way, for those uh generous streams that you gave away. Uh Joachim. Joachim is the man. That dude is awesome. Thank you. Oh, I think he's a fan of yours. That's why uh, you put those on there. Anyway, so that's um, the fleet. Well, what do they call it? Uh, fleet formation. So let's check that out. That's uh, CCP Rise, CCP Signal, speaking publicly about it. First details have come out. He also gave, again, some other details on other things don't have to do with fleet formations, like how much the uh, mobile Sino will cost, how how hard will it be to destroy, what's its intended usage. And I will say that, and then we'll move on. The The intended usage was, uh, well, it, it arose from a problem. When you say that a Sino can only be lit for ships uh, from a ship that costs $200 million or three, $230 million, it's a very expensive price. So it's an expensive price, but not that big a deal for big fleets that are in a fight because you're going to destroy a lot more than just that. But that's a big deal to move a ship, to sacrifice a ship like that when you're just trying to move your character, your carrier, for instance, uh, to a new staging or something like that. So what they were trying to do is fill in that need of uh, being able to jump, being able to transport in a random area, not just to a beacon that's stationary, uh, for some players without it costing so much money for them in kind of a peacetime scenario. Uh, so that's why they, they're thinking of making this module that somebody could launch. Uh, and you can launch as many as you want. Uh, and then you can jump to them. So I thought another that was another thing of that, uh, that we didn't discuss yesterday, which is the, uh, the con idea that you could launch one of these things and then go and run and grab your, carrier several jumps away and then jump to it so up until now you have needed a sino alt or a sino beacon in order to have a sino and now you could actually with a single person there's a lot of players in this game that are dedicated to having only one account running or one account period one character that's all they identify them with and those people are completely locked out of capitals unless they want to be completely reliant on somebody else's infrastructure at this point now they could in theory move a capital by launching their own sino beacon running and grabbing their capital and jumping to it would it be safe absolutely not you haven't been monitoring it since you left it unless of course you're watching it with an alt in which case you're already using an alt but mm -hmm. you're so you're you are jumping blindly to a sino at the end but at least you're blindly jumping to your sign out in the end yeah Can't so wait. they're they're gonna they're gonna cost like 20 million instead of uh, i said 230 million for uh what is that a f uh rapier recon mm -hmm. recon oh, uh, yeah somebody said what it was worth here Blackbird. uh i don't see the ship oh here it is um okay. rapier yeah oh. rapier rapier oh cost 300 million so that's how much a sino ship is let's say and 
uh, this thing will cost about 20 million. So it'll be a lot less if it gets, it's a, what is a single use item and uh, won't take any fuel. So it's not, it's not gonna be a big hassle to use. It'll be relatively cheap and it's kind of hard to kill. You kind of have to, um, I think it was, well, anyway, it's a little, I won't tell you where it's at because they haven't decided where it's at, but it's not going to be something that can just be destroyed as easily as a, say, a, 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 a rookie frigate is, you know, or was. It can, it can be anchored within the tether range of a keep star. Yeah. There's a lot of, it would be nice aggressible. Things. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of interesting um, things about this. All right. Anything else, Ash, before I move on? I, I don't think anything that we didn't say yesterday, so that's fine. All right. Again, more information on all this is coming out. Uh, some of we this are getting drops a couple of questions. So, so Nick is asking what can uh, jump to it. It's going to just be a standard Sino. And that's the big key is that like you can get techniques around industrial Sinos, like you can use a venture for an industrial Sino. But um, to move your actual carrier dread, you need a heart, you know, like a real Sino Sino. So this would be for those people. And I actually legitimately think that this is, again, one of those things that's going to be extremely effective in LOSEC because uh, you could literally move your own chip or or better create yeah. you know, uh, well, a pathway through. You could take your subcap, drop it, fly over to your carrier that's five systems away or whatever, and I believe you can dock into your uh, ship hangar array and then, and then bring everything back. I was thinking yeah. you could just buzz over in an interceptor. Yeah, just neat, neat, neat implications to this. Not sure how it would be used. Some people said, "What if uh, 50, 60, 70 of these get dropped in the middle of a fight? Then, then they defeat the purpose of of making it a sacrifice to uh, to bring in more capitals." Uh, I don't know how they're going to deal with that, so we'll see. Okay. Well, first of all, it takes ten two minutes for them to anchor. Oh, they can um, be blown up quickly in a fight like that. I think that was the yeah, you, the answer. You could kill them, and then at the same time, it's like at a certain point, yeah, and they can also like uh, drop jammers, do the exact same things. Like, I mean, if you're if you're scaling it up like that, then at that point, resources almost doesn't matter as much. So, what yeah. do you do? It's not as I, applicable. I think uh, Rarova there says a couple things, uh, and that is uh, they can be blown up rather quickly in a big fight. And two is you can put a jammer to nullify an area. So there's counterplay to it. And I guess that'll work, but I'm not sure how many people carry around jammers just as equipment uh, if they're not specifically um, meant to do that. Maybe there's a role in a fleet now for someone like that, but yeah. I can just that. see, so like I can see somebody tackle a carrier, right? And then that carrier drop one of these things and like it's an interceptor. So the interceptor won't be able to damage it very much. And that reminds me of uh, like the the... Austin Powers video, like part where the guy's going after him in the in the ice thing, so he's coming oh, towards yeah. him really slowly. He's like, ah, and he the knows hot, he's coming yeah. at him, but it's like, <laughs> like you know, this sino is going to light in two minutes, and then all of his buddies are going to come in, but he's just going to sit there and wait, and you all get to wait for the two minutes for it to light. I don't, yeah. I, I just, I don't see it being that big of a thing compared to just decloaking your Falcon and lighting it. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see again. A lot of stuff. Okay, so uh, let me actually bring up uh, our guest. Uh, this is Dutch Gunner. How are you doing, Dutch? I'm um, good. Hello, everybody. You remember Dutch Gunner? He's on here many times before when we were doing this show on European time. He has been uh, gracious enough to stay up very late, his time zone, to stick with us on our usual evening U.S. time zone. So thanks for doing that, first of all. Let's talk drifters. 
Ash, can you tell us, uh, can you set this up and tell us about drifters and why they're so vicious? Sure. Well, so Aritaka Research Consortium was most famously known for, or like became really well known to the public because they predicted the fact that the Triglavians were going to be going after blue stars specifically during chapter three. But Aritaka Research Consortium has been in the game and interacting with the game or with this lore very uh, intimately since basically the foundation of the Drifter plotline, the starting of Caroline Star and, and whatnot. Uh, Dutch can tell me, can probably give more details there. But uh, this group of scientists have over time spent their time and effort fighting to and understanding the Drifter menace. Um, and Dutch Gunner is one of their major FCs. He was an FC during invasions and uh, both uh, before Chapter 3 and also after Chapter 3. But since Poshpin has been spending his time understanding the new Drifter menaces within Poshpin. So CCP has very clearly laid out the Drifters as being the big bad guy of the game. If you go into the tutorial now, uh, Aura says that explicitly the game, is, like everything about the framework of the game, the fiction portal, the entries about the Drifters have really played up the Drifters as being the absolute other. They are the enemy. They are the bad guy. They are the existential threat. They are the thing that we should all rally against. And so to that effect, uh, Dutch Gunner has done what everybody else has has wanted to get, get as far away from as possible. When everybody else is trying to figure out how to avoid Drifter Doomsdays, this guy's complaining if they don't shoot at him enough. Um, he's been in there doing Poshvin research since Poshvin was created, understanding, taking what they knew about drifters from before and applying it to the current to the new drifters that are found in Poshvin. And just this week has published his report, which shows everything that he has learned about how to fight, deal with, and succeed against the drifters, which is incredibly important because they not only are the best way to gain standings, but they gain standings with both Edencom and the Triglavian, which mean if you want to be totally done with all of this Triglavian Poshvin blah 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 stuff and Triglavians gate camping you in high sec and Edencom fortresses and whatever. Just get positive standings with both by going in there and killing some drifters. With all that, Dutch Gunner, how do you kill some drifters? <laughs> what an introduction. Um, <laughs> first of all, I do apologize for the occasional stutter. It's um, 2.40 a.m. for me, so as English isn't my native language, I might occasionally be at a loss of words or stumble and fumble some words. Um, but yeah, drifters are a really big challenge, and there are still so many things that are completely unknown. Um, they are very unwelcome um, because of a roleplay event in High Sec in MR, where they pretty much one-shotted a Titan with the MR Empress without any chance to do anything against it. Then there was this um, really nasty surprise in Nullsec, where things were utterly broken and there were just roaming fleets and people would get one-shotted by drifter death balls um, without ever being seen on grid. And then there's Poshvan, where drifters hide behind uh, fleets of sleepers and they're rightly feared. I mean, first of all, they're very mobile. They've got a big punch with the regular weapons and once you make it through their overshield, which is visible when you lock it because there's a big, clear blue circle around it, it fires an ECM burst and it charges and fires a doomsday, which 
unless you're fully prepared for it, or if you're not properly prepared, even carriers can get one-shotted. So it's something a lot of people don't want to touch. It's a lot of um, subjects that people would rather avoid. And because ARC tries to at least once a month run a fleet into the Drifter Hives, I started to take notice and started to work on ways to um, find a way how to deal with the Drifters in Poshvan and their doomsdays. And I've been learning a lot. Like, one of the things is not every drifter actually has a doomsday. Wait, let's, let's, uh, before you go into the drifters, I want to show some footage because you just brought it up and reminded me. This is a friend of mine and my old partner, Tiberius Stargazer, who was, who was filming this event. And, uh, you'll hear Ashtarathi on this video, I believe, as well. This is the moment, and it is a huge moment in EVE Online lore. Inside that Titan, this is a high sex system. Inside that Titan is the, uh, Empress. Uh, Jamil Saram of the Amar Empire. You'll see drifters come in and take out that Titan in a single instance. And let's play that video. Oh, 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 oh! Shit, war target. Fuck. Did you see that? What Did happened? Did you see that? What? No, I'm not on. Oh, oh my shit. god! What's going on? Not on grid. They blew oh, up the holy shit. shit. They blew Wait, up the, the Titan? The titan? They blew up yes. Jamil. Oh, they blew up the Titan. Holy but, shit! But I just got here. Oh shit! They got her her pod. Oh they got my her pod. god! Oh my god! Look at those drifters. You're fucking joking! <laughs> oh I would I just. I called oh, it. They warped off. They got potted. Holy shit! They warping off. I saw so many of them. Gonna happen. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> tell Ash. Tell me what happened. The drifters, the drifters simply warped in, doomsdayed the Titan, got scrambled their pod, killed it, and warped off. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I wanted to show how devastating. Hashtag they I are. was there. <laughs> wanted to show how uh, how drifters made, whoa, partially made their entrance. Okay, let me turn off that forklift, whatever that was. Uh, so that's partially how they made their entrance into the game. That was something that. Um, Dutch was just explaining. Uh, so they were, they were something to be reckoned with. And so now, uh, bring us up to speed. Now they're in Poshvin, right? Yep, yep. Um, there's there are different variations. I mean, back with the introduction, um, you could first see um, sleepers, and then those got upgraded. Like, I forgot the complete name, but they currently move around as lancers. Engage the lancers. There'll be a response fleet. And you'll see uh, a Tyrannos cruiser, a Tyrannos battleships, and those are drifters with overshields and doomsdays. And then there's um, other ones, like you've got the drifters in abyssal space, where they don't have an overshield and they don't have a doomsday. And now there's Poshvin with different variations. And some of them don't have doomsdays, and others do. They do all still have their overshield, and I was um, a bit surprised when, during one of my fleets, Astrarthi was tagging along, and when the news was mentioned, like, hey, but not all drifters have doomsday, it was like, wait, what, they don't? It's like, no. And there is a very safe way to check if they have a doomsday or not and prepare accordingly, because if they don't have doomsday, you can kill them, you'll still have the ECM burst from popping the overshield, but there's no doomsday. And you still get a big standing boost with Triglavians and Eden Calm if you kill the Drifters. Right. 
so based on all of that, um, I started looking at things because Poshfen is something most people just pretty much dropped after the conclusion of chapter three, because moving around is heavily restricted depending on your standings. If you don't have enough standings with the Triglavians, you're not going to be able to use the gates. So either you have to get lucky with wormhole connections, or you have to keep moving in and out with the filaments. So based I just, on... Oh, so go I ahead. want to go back and clarify something really quick, because we were talking about some nomenclature, and I already see some confusion in chat. So uh, the sleepers um, are like the guys that are seen in wormhole space and whatnot. Uh, the sleepers that we see in K-Space that are now known as Autothysian Lancers used to be called Circadian Seekers. But because the tutorial kind of took the name Circadian Seekers, they, the, all of what used to be called Circadian Seekers got renamed to Autothysian Lancers. Um, and then they, that same model has been used in other things in like the Abyss and stuff like that. But that represents kind of like the new sleeper style. So that's why there's some confusions there. So the Autothysian Lancers are the sleepers that have emerged since the drifters have really shown themselves. And it seems as if the drifters are separate and distinct from the sleepers, uh, most likely because they're the other, but that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we're not going down right now. Um, and uh, so you have the Autothysian Lancers, which are the sleepers, and then you have the drifter battleship and the drifter cruiser. Um, and the in other interesting thing to note is the sleepers, unlike, or sorry, the drifters, unlike all of the other rats, um, Every rat, the name of the ship and the name of the pilot are the same. Drifters have a pilot and have a ship, and those are two different things. So like in the Abyss, you have the drift, or sorry, in, in Poshfin, you have a drifter strike battleship and a drifter scout battleship, I think is the other one. Um, and one of them has the, uh, the, the gun and the other one doesn't. You can see the type versus the name within it. And each, uh, and each type of battleship might have a certain... Uh, drifter associated with it. So like uh, the Apollo Tyrannos is the ones that will be in K-Space and the Scylla Tyrannos will be the one that's in wormhole space. Um, but it's really interesting that they see the pilot separate from the ship, especially when it comes to drifters. But with the confusion, I mean, that's one of the reasons why um, I also wrote the manual because it just seems that a lot of people struggle with... Um, how to deal with it, how to make all the identifications. So instead of one of the usual um, primers that ARC has released with regard to chapters one and two from the Tregalavian invasions, which go really in-depth with background, it's more about, okay, let's create a short manual with all the critical information that gives people the information and the tools to come up with their own answer, with their own fleet, with their own design to be able to do this. Um, because what you usually right. see is people just, you have one group who find an answer and then it gets copied and there's just this one thing that people assume that's the answer, that's the only way. And with the research that we've done and looking into the, the mechanics and the math behind Doomsday, we found out that you really don't need billions in implants or expensive ships or, or fittings to be able to pull it off and you can do it with armor and shield doctrines great so we'll take a look at that uh just so you can see it's a manual we'll just preview it real quick and we'll come back and talk about it but uh you can download this we'll give you the link for that it's a very quick manual 
and it's getting a lot of praise even from CCP. Uh, of course, all this is very well done as most of the stuff from ARC is and most of the stuff that Dutch does. So well-researched and well-presented. What's interesting is that while a lot of other ARC research has been very much focused on lore-like components, uh, tracking in the targets that invasions come to, understanding star types, you know, these kinds of things. This is very much so an FC manual. This is a practical understanding of like everything down to, you know, if you have this much signature radius and this much uh, speed or traversal, this is what this is your expectation to survive against the doomsday. Yeah, except it's not transversal, it's actually angular velocity, which are separate things. But the benefit is you don't need to get too many extra steps because if you have your um, overview, you'll see like a name, you can add a column for tax uh, and speed, but you can also select the option to show the angular velocity. So you don't have to calculate it. All you have to do is add that column, look at the value and voila, you got the information. <laughs> yeah. For those that- uh, I think this is, sorry. Sorry, a little, little lesson here for people who don't understand um, angular velocity, transversal, and those kinds of things. It is complicated, but essentially, if something is coming right at you, you can aim at it and shoot it and destroy it because it's coming right at you and it's not moving left or right. It's just coming right at you, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But if something is going from bottom left to top right, you have to shoot your projectile in order to intercept it, and that is uh, an angular uh, direction. And the speed at which it's moving and you're, if you're standing still, then it's just its angular velocity or its, or its transversal that you have to worry about. But if you're moving and it's moving at the same time, you can see it gets a lot more complicated. And that's why EVE Online really takes all that stuff into account when your guns are trying to damage something that is moving at the same time that you're moving. What angle is it moving at? How fast is it moving? And... Um, those two things together create a transversal rating that you have to apply against, apply your damage against. So angular velocity is a component of transversal. I think transversal is just a component of velocity and angular direction, isn't it? Okay, not everybody at nope, once. I'm not prepared to, to dive that one. I <laughs> okay. already got corrected once in this conversation. All right, well, well anyway, so I, I it's complicated. The reason why this is important here is because there's two pieces to this puzzle. One, the drifters uh, have really good range and are really fast and agile, but have generally pretty bad tracking comparatively. So the only shot you got is to, is to get them to miss in particular with their doomsday especially. And part two is that the moment that they fire their doomsday, it breaks all locks on them. So any attempt to use things like tracking disruption will fail because your tracking disruption will end the moment it fires its doomsday. So you have to have this a, a properly set up ship that is capable of A, being the doomsday target, and B, not dying to the doomsday in order to soak these things like lightning rods. Cleared it all up. Either way, either way, there, there is math. math uh, the math behind it can be really confusing and complicated, which is why in the manual, 
there actually is a table where all those calculations have been made if you go with the approach of orbiting at close range. Because that's the entire setup that Arc and uh, I'm making when I'm running these Pushion fleets and we run into them, uh, it, uh, run into drifters with a doomsday. All right, let me just read that from JLint one more time. Transversal equals speed at which target is moving across your field of view. And angular velocity is the rate of change of angle to the target. Yep, thanks didn't you. help the second time either. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jalen. I consider myself a math. No, it's one of the hardest things for me. Like, I always go back and forth about which one I need to pay attention well, to between the two. There'll be a tutorial on your agency pretty soon about tracking and uh, transversal angular velocity. But, you know, That's you don't true. need to know all the math. You need to know how to use that how to use that column called uh, angular velocity or transversal uh, Dutch. What is it lower the number, the better on that thing? Um, basically the higher your angular velocity, the better. The higher. Okay. Thank you. And the, the, um, when looking into it, coming up with the approach and finding all the information I needed to write the manual, um, it basically came down to three main criteria. First, you needed to be able to direct the doomsday to the ship you wanted to be shot at, because that's the ship that you prepared ideally to make sure it's going to miss. The second is going to be the signature radius of that ship. And the third is going to be the angular velocity of that ship compared to the drifter that you want to blow up. So the that's only way... The Simple only, version. Got it. The only way to save a ship is to dodge that blast, right? Because nothing can really withstand that blast. Correct. There there are things that can withstand the blast, but nothing that you'd want to take into Poshvin. Okay. It's, like it's, there's a there's a multi-billionist rattlesnake that I've watched face tank drifter doomsdays, but again, you wouldn't take that into Poshvin on a daily basis. As a rule, anything subcapital, if it's hit by a doomsday from a drifter, it's likely going to die. The cruisers tend to have a lower alpha strike compared to the battleships, but it's still enough. Um, yeah. A very expensive rattlesnake can dodge it, but it's still going to be in low hull when it's hit. So, <laughs> in the uh, in the emergent threats trailer, just to make sure they dialed it in and and made it point home, the uh, the ship it destroys at the very end is a golem, and it cracks it in a single shot with the doomsday. So. We'll check that out. He wasn't messing around. But regardless, um, the manual has been written in a way that even if people don't fully understand all the mathematics, I mean, I had to get a little help with the math behind it as well because of some of the formulas. Um, But whether you're starting in EVE or you've already been playing for a long time, this manual is there to give you a short background information on this is how it works, this is why it's important, Here's a table to check if it's going to work or not. And here's a way to direct the doomsday and the aggression on the ship you want it to be fired at. Oh, I can see a movie, so I'll be quiet for a moment. That's right. <laughs> you got it muted. Well, I haven't muted, so I, it was just to see it. Exactly. Yeah, so, so, uh, but, so here's my question. How well does this information apply to fighting drifters in drifter wormholes? Um... Well, the math behind dodging the doomsday is exactly the same. 
So in theory, if you got good at you know fighting drifters in Poshman, you could go and then just fight them in the wormholes as well and be fine. Correct. Excellent. Yeah, I so this is why it's really exciting to me because uh, we often talk about how we're waiting for CCP to do more with the plot or do more with these stories or whatever, uh, especially when it comes to drifters and these and the hives, et cetera. But I was looking at the fiction portal recently as part of other things. And I don't know when it got updated, but around the sometime during invasions, it seems uh, like around the chapter three time period, they also updated things like the drifter pages, um, including information that really point to the drifter wormholes as being a continuing mystery that needs to be explored. And so uh, I wonder how much of this needs to be understood and just no one's engaging with this content too thoroughly. And so we're not piecing together something that we could be. Um, so I'm really excited at the idea of, because especially like this is something that I've been really vexed with as the leader of COE, Convocation of Empyreans, because it's like when I worked with the Kybernauts, people that wanted to work with Aidencom felt alienated and it was a big problem. And now we actually want to be able to support Incom guys and Kybernauts. So... The idea that the tr the real threat, the true threat to humanity is these inhumans, the drifters, the sleepers, and the rogue drones. Those are the ones that everyone agrees are a problem. And if you align yourself to being able to, to go against those things, I think that actually leads to some of the most bleeding edge content in the game and uh, hopefully allows me to be able to be friends with both Edencom and, uh, and Triglavian allies. That being said, Concord still remains being, to be the true enemy of the Empyreans, just so that we're all on the same page. Regardless, I'm going to yank it right back to the manual. <laughs> Please um, do. <laughs> so the main thing is that during Chapter 1s and 2, uh, with the Triglavian invasion, there's been a change in some of the AI, and during the fleets, uh, the Ark fleets, we realized that if you're applying damage and if you're applying remote reps within the fleet, the NPCs, the AI, will prioritize attacking the larger ships over the DPS ships. And using this and testing it in Poshven, the same seems to apply to the Traglavians in there, and it also seems to apply to the uh, sleepers, the drifters, and even the rogue drones. So basically, if you have one logistical cruiser and that logistical cruiser is using four reps and all the other ones are using two, that logistical cruiser is going to be the target of aggression. Like, that's the one right. that's going to be attacked. And the number of want... active high slot modules seems to be a very key component to that piece. The amount of repair. If you have um, a Guardian that runs four reps and if you have a Nestor that runs four reps because the Nestor is bonus and provides more remote repairs. That's the one they're going to go for instead of the Guardian. Wow. So if you if you know this setup, um, have one ship run all reps, their aggro is going to be on that one. And once you get the bait ship in position, you're going to make sure that that bait ship is the one who provides the most remote repairs, gets the aggression, and keeps the aggression. That way, when the Doomsday is fired, it's going to go exactly at the ship where you want it to be at. And this method of drawing and keeping the aggression on a single ship and have some control over it 
I labeled it anger management as a joke, but it kind of stuck. So I kept kept it as anger management and that it's described how it works in the manual. The second part, the signature radius, depending on how you fit your ship, like if you use shield extenders or shield rigs, you're going to increase the signature radius. Um, and there are implant sets like the Halo that reduce the signature radius. You've got command burst modules that also provide a reduction in your signature radius. So N is an item you can see in the fitting screen of your ship. It's one of the statistics that will always be there. Like, what's your signature radius? And if you turn a micro warp drive on, it's going to come become that much bigger. Um, not to mention, to make things a bit more complicated, the drifters, they warp scramble and they web. So if you want to keep your angular velocity up, not having a micro warp drive on because you warp scrambled isn't going to do you any favor. So there is a bit of a refit. Um, that you need to do either with a mobile depot or if you have the standings, you can do it at one of the NPC stations in Poshven. But once you got that in place, you'll have a high angular velocity. And then the final part basically comes down to um, what's going to happen with, with the angular velocity. And if you apply four webifiers, and that's the Tech 2 or any of the faction variants that has a 60% reduction. Um, you're going to slow down the Drifter to such a degree that even though the target logi is scrammed and wet with an afterburner, you shouldn't have too much trouble getting an angular velocity of 0.25 or higher. And if you use the command burst that increases the speed from an afterburner and the agility, you can even boost it up further. I mean, I've seen fleets where we got the angular velocity up to 0.34. <laughs> wow. So, so combining that all, throw it in the calculations, and you get a hit percentage if you know the statistics from uh, the weapon systems from the drifters. Now, these are still largely unknown. There are databases and people that looked at it and dissected it. And I've gone over it with, with others to double check the math. We found some values and some ships, some drifter ships have better tracking than others. But for the sake of accuracy, we've taken the best possible tracking value and the best possible optimal range and fall of that drifter variants have to make sure like, hey, worst case scenario, these are your odds. And all of it is in a table. So if other people came up with a design, they're following instructions and, and they want to have a go at it, all they have to do is open the manual, check the table, like, hey, this is my signature radius. This is the angular velocity. That's the hit probability. Am I happy with it? Let's go. If I need it to be better, what can we do to achieve it? And for those who are curious about the math behind it, that's been moved to the appendix with the full explanation from the uh, tracking formula posted or shared by, well, for me, it was Eve University. And then that formula is dissected and explained with, at the bottom, a calculation example of what it means in practice and how the values in the table are what they are. Amazing. So. Uh, so basically, you need to know your SIG, and then you look on this chart, and you say, do I have uh, that angular velocity? And if you do, you survive. And if you don't, if you have less than that, 
you'll get hit by this thing. You're more likely to get hit and die. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, the, the conclusion number right. is the percent chance it is that they hit you, with the assumption that is if they hit you, you die. Well, I'm just checking. I'm not sure. Is is the stream okay? Because if I'm following it, I just see a big black screen. Nope. It's fine. I, okay. Right now it's the chart. Sig versus angular velocity. Right. Okay. Cool. But yeah, for plain example, if you got a sig radius of 100, your angular velocity is 0.25 on the doomsday fires. Um, the likelihood, likelihood of it hitting is 2.06%. The important right. thing to keep in mind is you'll never be able to get it down to 0%. You will be able to get it down to a really, really, really tiny percentage. But that's why the table shows like the hit probability is less than 0.01%. Like it's not right. zero, but it is really small. Right. So right. if your signature is 65 or smaller and your angular velocity is 20 point, 0.26 or higher, then you've basically minimized the chance that, that that ship will get hit. Yeah. But you don't have to go that low. I mean, sure. with, with, with the webs and the afterburner, um, a basilisk uh, it has no trouble reaching 0.28 or 0.29. Uh, with a scimitar, we've even gone as far as getting it the angler up to 0.34. So with with point three four and off your and, chart, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's more like the drop off because sure you can keep going, but it's just going to show yeah it's less than point oh one percent. So that's not really useful, and then you're just going to keep skimming the table and lose that quick access information that you're looking for if you want to give it a go um, as 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 a group that hasn't done it before. Yeah, we could. Uh, you could create an extrapolation if if more people tend to start using ships of that v value in order to hit that limit. But in practice, mm -hmm. I think you found that this was the this represented the reasonable bounds that you would find, right? Yeah, yeah. You can go all the way. Like you have, you can go to extremes and get like a signature radius of fifty three, but you don't have to go that far to still be able to reliably expect to have doomsdays miss all right well you know you're like a scientist you've taken a lot of mystery out of that uh that process of fighting drifters that's mainly the goal like like explain it have a manual um people who want to know more can look at the appendix for further information but it's really about giving other people who are curious, but they just think it's overwhelmingly difficult to give them the information and the tools. Like, hey, we've we've gone over the math, we've done the field testing, and these are our findings. And you don't have to be super experienced or super rich. Just find a group of people, come together, look at it, and if you, as long as you get these values or you keep this approach in mind, you're going to be fine. So. This is actually one of the things that, like, this is the exciting stuff right here is stuff like this, because this is figuring it out. One of the things that I run into a lot is that people have difficulty, like, oh, well, how do I make money? What is there to do in Poshfin? And I don't have good answers for them. But that doesn't mean that good answers don't exist. It's just, A, I'm not one of the people doing it, and B, like, it's a very developing situation. So getting in there and learning how it all works and being part of how it all works 
is, you know, now is the time to get in that ground level. One of the issues is so much of EVE content is so old now that people are used to, it's like, oh, well, you know, even wormhole space sites, you know, it's, it's, it's totally figured out, you know, missions totally figured out. Even the abyss, people try to think of it as, as totally figured out. The the Poshpin in, in a lot of ways is that like frontier place that we have not figured out yet. The reason why I don't have answers for people about Poshpin isn't because I'm trying to be coy about it or because these answers don't exist. We just don't know them. There's continuing research about how uh, wormholes connect to Poshvin, about what sort of sites appear in Poshvin, and about how these mechanics behave. And so, uh, you know, to those people who look back and things like uh, wormholes when they were first created, or, you know, want to think about some sort of heyday, like, this is the bleeding edge. This is where people are out there figuring out like what is going on and and paving the road. So yeah, by the t by the time he publishes these things and by the time it becomes regular, then sure you get to be a tourist too. But right now people are out there <laughs> figuring things out. Yeah. Well, good job. This looks like it was a ton of work. Uh, do you have anything else that you wanted to tell us about Dutch uh, regarding this uh, manual that you put together? Um, I have a question actually because it is a ton of work, and I just have one question, which is. How long did you actually spend doing it? And how many people did you usually come with you? Because it wasn't just you. You, When I went with you, you had, you had a 15-man fleet. People were waiting in line to get in. So how many people helped you with this? And how long have you guys been working on this? Um, well, I spent three months running um, weekly fleets into Poshvin. Um, the first challenge was coming up with the right doctrine. Um, one of the things that can seem daunting is that Poshvin is a bit of a hybrid between wormhole space and NullSec, as in you don't have local. And any weapon you could use in NullSec, you can use in Poshvin. So you can be hit by bombing runs and um, you're not going to be saved or avenged by faction police or concord. So if you get attacked by players... You have to defend yourself, or that's it. Um, we came up with with Munins, Lokis, and artillery because it helps with with webification. You can have extra strong tank, and most of all, if with the time frame in which I run the fleets, it's late AU crossover to early US. So when people in there that are out looking for PvP see these fleets, um, they tend to go, hmm. Munins, Lokis, four, five, Logi. I'm sure there's something more easier to engage than that. So that that helps a bit. Um, but my fleets are open for everybody. I don't care if you are a supporter of Edencom, if you're a Kybernaut. The simple rule is as long as you show up in my fleet, you don't actively sabotage it or disrupt it. Everybody is welcome. You've had a team of about of at least ten people working with you consistently, right? Um, I am blessed with people who keep showing up. Um, there's currently not much of an ISK reward for doing it, but I think that just the challenge of of finding out how does it work, um, the social aspect, because everybody is giving some input and. 
without people just showing up every fleet, I would not have been able to gather the data I needed. Um, nor, I mean, I needed people to be debate logic. And not everybody enjoys losing a ship. Um, I mean, it's one of the reasons why, with regard to Logi, I'm like, hey, the Logi are fleet provided, because if we take losses, it's going to be the Logi. So you don't have to pay for that. I'll provide them. But you still need people to fly them and people who are comfortable that if something goes wrong and a doomsday hit, they do lose a ship. Not everybody's happy with it, but it's it's three months. Um, the writing, I think, took me about a week. Then there was about another week with, with just the time with people going over it. Because, yeah, English, second language, so some phrasing might not be accurate. Um, but in, in man hours, it's probably not that insane. Because when we take a Poshan fleet out, I try to run them on Fridays and Saturdays between 1900 EVE time and 2300 EVE time. But not every dive results in running into drifters. Or if we run into drifters, we don't always run into them with a doomsday. So the actual testing and writing um, with the, the proofreading and editing, if I am to make a guess, I would say in total somewhere between 30, 45 hours. So it's it's not that insane of a workload. It's just going out there collecting the data. Only an e-player <laughs> e would say that's not um, a big workload. Well, the, the more crazier part was that while we were running, um, locals and other people started to pay attention. And even people in my fleet, like they could regularly hear me like asking the question, what's your angular velocity? What's your sig radius? And at one point I'm saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. Get the drones, get everybody with the standings. Step one, step two, step three, all the way out. Doomsday goes off. It's a miss. It was like, as expected, on to the next. And people just were puzzled with how can you be so certain? And and local people that were just keeping an eye on it was like, what's happening here? And even when it was explained, they were like, how the hell does he do it? <laughs> It is uh, having been in the fleet it is it is really cool because he doesn't like it's a it's a multi step process you know dismantling the enemy fleets getting things prepared making sure everything's ready to go and then triggering it um, and the fleet that he goes with is very disciplined uh, overall I don't remember any you know slip ups or or mistakes when it came to those kinds of things in fact if anybody was uh, causing the issues I think I was probably the most disruptive person in the fleet with my stealth bomber. But yeah, when we when you do it on a regular basis and you get people that start to keep showing up and some new people, it's not an issue because at one point you start to consistently make those doom days miss and then people get confident. And then all of a sudden I heard myself say, damn, how the hell can I find more doomsdays to be fired at the fleet? And then wait, there is no FC that would be considered sane with making this remark with the drifters. Oh, crap. <laughs> but yeah, doing it consistently, it, it at one point you got to this point where drifters, doomsdays, more. Give it to us. It's fun. It's a challenge. I mean, earlier today I ran a fleet um, and we're still doing testing whereas we've seen that webs work as long as you get the get the web supplied at the right time because that keeps the angular velocity up 
We're still testing on tracking disruption. Um, ECM is not a, a method that I consider to be valid because with ECM, if you're jammed, you'll still be able to lock and attack the source of the jam. So you're still going to take losses. And that's one of the things that we're trying to avoid in the manual. Um, sensor dampening could work. We haven't tested at it. Um, optimal range disruption seems to work. It is worth um, noting that, that rats don't do locking back in general. So it, it may actually be valid. Rats don't know that they can lock you back when they're jammed. Mm. Well, regardless, it's something we haven't tested. Mm. Um, but that's also just as as a bit of a closing on the report where I'm saying like, hey, alternative methods. I know that um, EDI, Income Defense Initiative, uses uh, Nagas with, with uh, railguns for long range and crucifiers with optimal range disruption for, the ter- for, for weapon systems. And they seem to pull it off. Like, I don't have the math. I don't have done enough testing to confirm if it applies or not, but it strongly suggests that it does. Um, we're currently still testing with the tracking disruption. The test of today um, was a bit of a miss because the doomsday hit, but that might be because we were pushing the odds a little bit too much. Um, and after we figured that one out, there's still so much more to discover in Poshvan, like what happens with the encounters on the wormhole, because depending on the wormhole connection, you're going to see rogue drones on the wormhole to fight until the encounter is over. It could be Edencom, it could be Triglavians, it could be uh, drifters and sleepers. But not every encounter is the same. Like um, today's fleet, we lost to Lodgy cruisers because mm-hmm. the amount of battleships and drifter cruisers and battleships that kept spawning just became so massive that at one point it just became too much. So th- this yeah, is in other times there's almost nothing where there isn't a single encounter. So there's another mechanic behind right. there that's going to be next on the queue to figure out. Got it. Right. So there's something that a... we don't understand about making things trigger to spawn for sure. So, okay. So this isn't a pure win formula. This is just going to give you an advantage to uh, participate against drifters in there. Okay. It's yeah. Because when you get to the combat encounter, like there's a combat site um something with with um i think hive no not hive I, either way there is a clearly distinguishable combat site you can see mm-hmm. in poshvan and if you're at a wormhole um you never know what you're going to see there's going to be uh sleepers and as soon as you see something with tyrannos you know okay that's a drifter that's what we need to be careful for and if you don't if you're not prepared to handle the regular sleeper in different variations of the encounters you could have, because some are really small and others are really massive. Um, this is more about, okay, make sure you got that covered. But if you clear the grid and there's just drifters left with a doomsday, follow these steps and you're going to make it through the end without taking a single loss. Wild. Wow. Yeah, the rest of the pieces are relatively straightforward. This is the piece that is the most misunderstood or least understood, I should say. Cool. Well, thanks for making this. I think it looks like a, uh, only a few people could have done this, and you're one of them. So thanks for putting it together and pu- publishing it for the public, not keeping it for yourself. And uh, it's, it's one of great. the things that defines the Aratoka Research Consortium. I mean, we like to d- dive into lore. We like to figure out how things work. And then 
if it's if it's it's tricky um, or anything else, we like to share our findings and any pointers to the public because Eve is still a game and it should be enjoyable for everybody. And sure, some things do require a base requirement, but other things can be accessible. You just need to put the information out there instead of hoard it. And that's yeah. one of the things that art does. Well, it takes generous I, people I think, to do that. Yeah, I think Nick uh, nailed it. He says, uh, it's a GD amazing piece of work and very well put together. Uh, Dutch, you are... Uh, frequently, I've I've been struck by how committed you are to the quality of your work. Uh, since you haven't done it yet, I'm going to use this as maybe a transitional point, but saying that, you know, Dutch did run from CSM last year and i believe he may have intentions to do so again and oh, so uh it's worth keeping in mind that he does he not only understands the lore and the universe very very well but he actually understands the mechanics on a level that is quite frankly deeper than pretty much anybody else depending on uh what mechanics you're talking about right <laughs> um yeah i wasn't planning on on going into that because that's something i thought that would happen much later but um i do plan to run for CSM again this year great right. oh no to... no no! i'm grabbing <laughs> you and we're going under the bus together friend okay okay no 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 no. okay i i reef sorry um it's late english mind you're good guy. you're good no yeah i am going to run for CSM again this year great all right absolutely Okay, well, that's a nice uh, little announcement to end on. Great work with this, great work before this, and uh, the stuff that you do with ARC. And good luck on your run for CSM. We assume those elections are coming up soon. Uh, speaking of CSM, by the I way, Dutch. One more, I, have, yeah. I have one more thing. Um, yeah, well, go ahead. This, this manual is there for others to look at it to help them if anybody wants to have a go at it and they're not sure if something's going to work, if, if it's a ship, a fleet composition or something in the manual itself, feel free to reach out to me either in-game with an EVE build to the character or on the Arataka Research Consortium. Um, I'll I'll happily make an appointment to go over it. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm just going to work with you with your approach and your answer to help you get there. Oh, cool. All right. Well, listen, uh, we agree with uh, Trouble Trave here. He says, get some well-deserved sleep, Dutch. Uh, I know it's the middle of the night for you. Thanks for staying up and walking us through your manual. We'll publish it out for people to see it uh, on the show notes here. And also we put it into the channel. It's about 3.30 in the morning. Might as well see it through to the end. I mean, <laughs> we got Saturday tomorrow. So yeah, it's it's true. one of the reasons why I'm really thankful that um, I had the opportunity to talk about it and that we could do it on a Friday. <laughs> yeah. What is sleep? Great. All right. So the, the last thing we wanted to talk about, actually, we're kind of over time, so we could wrap this up, but we'll do just 10 minutes on this. Uh, let me see if I can pull up some notes on... We should probably wait for another day, honestly, because... My yeah, situation is destabilizing quickly. <laughs> oh, uh, then we'll we'll finish up. We'll do CSM later on. Maybe we'll do a special program for it like we used to do because we'd read all the minutes and then talk about them. But for now, I want to say thanks to Dutch Gunner for that great publication he put up uh, from Drifters. And thanks, Ashtarothy, for hanging around. Thank you guys for hanging around on Friday. I think it's time to transfer you over to Open Comms to see what kind of uh, things they're up to now. Take care, guys. We'll see you next week.